Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. All right, so this week what we did was we had an episode recorded that kind of fell through. So what you are going to hear is from the winter teaching conference that happened just this past weekend, discussing some of the great strategies for succeeding as a graduate student, staying sane, and really how to succeed in academia. It's a really great panel, has four great speakers, and I hope you enjoy. So we're going to start off with Lisa Okay, I volunteered to start because I had ideas, and I don't think they're so original, so I thought someone else might take my idea if I go first, I get to say it first. My name is Lisa Fadden. Um, I completed my PhD in education in 2012, and um, I have been working for two years at the Center for Education Research and Innovation at Truex. So um, I had an interesting journey. I think I was, uh, I was invited to be here, not because I volunteered myself as a success story, but because I'm someone who has taken my graduate training and applied it in an area that is very relevant but different from what I was trained to do. So I'm going to talk about working through the questions about what is my PhD good for? What am I now qualified to do? And thinking broadly about that in order to have more options because, um, and, and the, these, um, these questions and the way that I have resolved them are going to look different for different people in different fields. But I think that, um, uh, I think that seeing how other people have worked through these is useful. So um, when I came to London in, um, in 2005 um, and began my PhD in education, it was because my, my spouse had taken a position, a faculty position here at Western. So I became what, what's called a trailing spouse, a charming term that I did not know until I was one. <laughs> and, um, but I had been a high school teacher for 10 years. Um, in the U.S., and I was interested in pursuing a Ph.D. Um, I was motivated by just a passion for teaching and learning as um, what I think is a fundamentally human um, part of, um, or fundamentally part of our human experience. And I, I wanted to see my um, understanding of learning um, expanded and applied in new ways. So my first my first lesson learned, I can, oh, there we go, is my first lesson learned was to take stock of your expertise and skills, including soft skills. So um, I came with a lot of formal knowledge about education and teaching, learning, theory, pedagogy, but I also came with a lot of what we call tacit knowledge or practice-based knowledge. I also came with soft skills that come from um, working with 100 high school students whose IQs varied from 80 to beyond measurement um, every single year, um, and their diverse parents and diverse colleagues. So I came with um, skills that are very easy to put on a CV that have to do with teaching, interpersonal skills, and really deep listening skills. Um, over the course of my um, PhD, um, I chose to deliberately focus on developing my research skills because I felt like my teaching skills were pretty deep. That said, I still took the Teaching Support Center's, um, what is it, GS500 course, um, and it's really excellent. I recommend it to everyone. I took it at the end of my PhD, and if it can be useful to you at the end of a PhD, 
education. I think it can probably be useful to anyone who's open to um, to that to that content. Um, so my second piece of advice is to seek mentors broadly. So I um, I was interested in expanding and deepening my research skills. So I took on a lot of research assistantships, very few TAs, um, and at the same time I had two babies. So, um, so I did a lot less than a lot of my peers who were not taking parental leaves at the same time. Um, so what I found was that I wanted to um, find mentors who had different things to offer. I think um, you may be in a situation where you have a supervisor who can provide you mentoring in every aspect of your professional development, but I did not. Um, I found that I had one wonderful committee member who was a very successful academic and had never really been outside of academia. Um, and she knows my, my field very, very well. I had another mentor who wasn't in my field um, who I just loved the way, or in my subfield, but I loved the way that she was willing to take risks and apply her expertise in education in, um, in areas where she was outside of her comfort zone. And so I did a couple of projects with her. Um, through her, um, I got involved in medical education, um, joining her in a couple of projects and having her refer me to do a few limited things. So seek mentors broadly. Um, if you want to, to test um, how your expertise may be applicable, go outside your comfort level and find limited projects. One summer, I wrote a handbook for um, online instructors in a program for physicians. And it was not the best handbook that was ever written, but it was a great experience. Um, I know people who, you know, they want to be successful at everything, but I think when you're outside of your comfort level, some of these will be dead ends, and you have to be okay with that. Um, peers or near peers, um, m many, many faculties and departments have professional development series that are organized by graduate students. Um, it's important to understand your peers as sources of your professional development and mentoring. Uh, so if you don't have an organized seminar within your department or something that meets your professional development needs, uh, think about creating that because your peers can be, can be as good um, teachers and mentors as anyone else. Uh, and lastly, utilize national and international organizations. One of my best peer mentors is someone that I met at a, a national meeting where they had a new scholars program, and she was the one person I connected with, and we Skyped once a week pretty much for the rest of our PhD to set deadlines. And she gave me a different perspective because she's at a different university on our field and helped me to ask questions that I wasn't being led to ask um, within my program, which was very useful. And my last point is something that that friend, who's now in New York, said to me, and that was, this is not your advisor's job market. Um, a lot of people I know have gone outside of academia after their PhD, and many of them have done that feeling that they were not supported by um, their advisors, by the department, they felt disappointed in themselves. Um, I think it's really important to understand that, um, that we're in a different uh, labor market than many of our mentors were. 
And so if you are in a situation where you have the opportunity uh, or where you feel that your options are narrow, you may be thinking too narrowly about them. If you think about it, or I've had many conversations with people where they said, oh, I have an opportunity to take a job in industry or government or the nonprofit sector, but I won't be using my degree. My friend who, um, who said this um, is working for um, a foundation in New York. She travels all over the world. She uses her knowledge, but she's not publishing. So, you know, she wonders if she's using her degree. And I think that's a very problematic mindset that I'm hoping to trouble. Because um, I hope that we can think of um, our, if you have the opportunity to use your skills uh, that you've developed in your PhD and outside of your PhD, um, in other contexts, I, I hope that you will think of that as proof of the value of the PhD and not evidence of your own limitations. Um, in the current um, literature on career development, lateral moves are often seen as a sign of growth and adaptation. So right now, um, I'm working in a position that was listed as not requiring a PhD, but I'm certainly using my PhD and I know that the people I'm working with know and appreciate that. Uh, like was mentioned, my name's Melissa. Uh, I'm a, PhD, a third year PhD student here at Western in the philosophy department. I also did my MA here. Uh, and when I was asked to be on this panel, I took a moment to sit back and reflect as to why I might have been asked and what have been my strategies that have led me to be a successful graduate student. Um, so rather than some of my tips and tricks, I have more just broader strategies that I've used in approaching being a PhD student. Uh, so the first one uh, echoes what we've just heard, which is I have found a variety of mentors. Uh, I have a graduate student mentor that's really great to talk about issues in my department. I have a faculty mentor uh, who's my supervisor. I have a faculty mentor who helps me with my writing and is sort of a writing mentor to me. Um, I'm also in a discipline that is heavily uh, uh, it's heavily skewed towards males in the field, so we are, I think, below engineering in terms of how many women there are, uh, at about 10 to 15 percent. Uh, so I've also found a female faculty mentor that's been incredibly valuable to me in terms of talking about issues that I face as a female in my field. Um, now, one of the things when people say, you know, get a variety of mentors, uh, if you don't have many mentors, you say, okay, that's great, I understand I should have mentors, but how do I get mentors? Um, and one of the things that has been really helpful for me in that is figuring out one or two questions that I can approach a faculty member with or another graduate student with and say, I'm having this problem or I have this question about my area of research or uh, whatever it might be, can I get your advice on this? Faculty members and other graduate students are very busy, and I found that if I can go to somebody with just one question, um, I start to develop a relationship organically with them through those means. And um, for most of my faculty mentors, that's how I've developed those relationships. Uh, in my department, we also have a great uh, organized mentor program, which are also a wonderful opportunity to seek out. Uh, they don't always necessarily, organized mentor programs may not always fit perfectly. You have to sort of try, the, there's no one size fits all mentor. So sometimes you find somebody and you click, and sometimes you find somebody, oh, they're really great to talk to, but I feel like I'm missing something. Um, so for me, it's just been a matter of talking to lots of people about issues that I face. 
which brings me to my second uh, strategy, which I think has been the hardest for me to implement, which is try not to be intimidated about how smart everybody else seems. <laughs> um, I mean, and this is a lot easier said than done, uh, especially when I was a first-year MA student. I was like, wow, uh, everybody here seems smarter than me. I don't want to ask any questions. I don't want to say anything or talk to anybody about anything. Um, I really don't want to look stupid. And academia is a place where a lot of the uh, your merit comes from being intelligent. And the thing is, you all got into a PhD program or an MA program. You are smart, you are intelligent, and so just get over It's one of those things you have to get over eventually, but for me, I'm still working on it, but that's been another strategy, is try to ask questions, uh, bring my concerns to people, um, and just let people know what I think. Uh, my third point is taking initiative. So all of you are here already, you're taking initiative for your own success, for being a successful grad student, and I think that's great. Um, you know, a lot of times you look at successful people and you go, wow, how did they get there? Um, it didn't just fall into their lap, they really had to put in a lot of work um, and be very proactive in your own success. Uh, seek out professional mentor programs if you have them. Uh, you're all here, so you all have already found the Teaching Support Center, which has been invaluable for me here at Western. Um, so that's another one of my strategies that I've implemented, is just um, being proactive, trying to find these opportunities, um, and eventually if, you, eventually, if you know a lot about what's going on at your university, younger grad students may seek out you um, for that information and for that help and for that guidance. Um, another thing that has been very successful, I think, in grad school, but also uh, something that a trip that I picked up from uh, when I used to work for the United States government was, if you have a problem, have a solution. And not only have a solution, but be willing to uh, help implement that solution. So an example of this is the own, my own mentoring program that we have in the philosophy department. When I came to my PhD program, there was no mentor program. A lot of the grad students felt at a loss, really wanting some type of mentor. And so we brought our problem to the faculty. We said, we really like a mentor program. Here's how it would look. Here's how uh, to implement it. And we would like to help do that. And so now our department has a grad program, and uh, they're very thankful for that. And um, that's just one example of having a problem, have a solution, and be willing to help implement that solution. Uh, nobody likes complainers, I guess, is sort of the line. <laughs> if you want something done, be willing to help and have, have a realistic solution. And uh, I think the last point I would like to make is another one of the things that has been the hardest for me, um, but has also been helpful in me feeling successful, is celebrating your own success as a graduate student. So there are, for me at least, and I've heard this from talking with many other grad students, there are so many lows in graduate school <laughs> where you feel like all you do every day is fail. Your supervisor gives you feedback, and they're like, this isn't what I want, do it again. This isn't what I want, do it again. This is kind of an improvement, do it this way now. Um, and so for me, whenever you have those highs of, of success, you really need to take a minute and celebrate them. And it's so easy to just be harsh on yourself and to brush your success to the side, but um, it's also one of these things that has helped me maintain sort of like a healthy relationship with academia, is taking the time to celebrate these moments where I feel like I really have accomplished something and I have done something successful. So try to upregulate that.
All right. Uh, so my name is Mike Ravenick, and I'm an assistant professor. Uh, I have to get used to saying that now. Assistant professor in the School of Occupational Therapy here at Western. Uh, so I finished, or I defended my PhD on June 11th and started the faculty position on July 1st. Uh, so not a lot of time to finish my edits or, or do course prep, but uh, that's, uh, as you will find, uh, coincides with the life of an academic. So uh, what advice do I have for you today? Uh, well, certainly there's been some great advice uh, already given, and so I, I wanted to take a different approach in the, the way that I provided you advice. Uh, the main way that I'm going to do that is talk about some of the really influential books that I read that are all available to you uh, to also read. Uh, and hopefully you'll be able to get something out of them if you do end up going and finding them. And not only that, but finding time to read them uh, in, your, in your busy days. Uh, so the first book, uh, some of you may have heard of it already. It's uh, called The Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. So uh, the one thing that I really took away from that book uh, that is applicable to academia is you have to begin with the end in mind. What is it that you want to accomplish? Do you want to work in academia? And if so, what plans can you put in place to make that happen? If you don't want to work in academia, if you want to work outside of academia, uh, then what types of things can you start to do uh, to make that happen? Uh, so just by a show of hands, who wants to work outside of academia? Who knows for sure? So quite a few. And those brave souls who want to work in academia. So we're about half and half. So uh, I guess, Based on my experience, uh, what I can say, if you want to work in academia, uh, certainly paralleling a lot of the thoughts uh, that have already been presented, you have to develop and foster those relationships that are going to help you uh, in actually uh, getting the interview, being successful in the interview. Uh, those relationships stem not only from the people that you're working with and your, your advisors and other people, uh, within your, your faculty where you're doing your graduate degree, uh, but elsewhere as well. So the, the important thing is to understand that uh, when you look at publications, when you look at grants these days that are not done, uh, very rarely are they done by one person. Uh, so as a graduate student, start to develop that type of uh, relationship with your colleagues where you, you do papers together, you, you do conference presentations together, uh, because that is going to help to improve your CV, and that is going to help you, uh, hopefully, get to that next step. Um, just to, I, I'm not sure if any of you had had the experience of uh, being in an academic interview, sometimes they invite students, uh, programs that uh, uh, to be involved, but uh, it, it's a pretty arduous process. Uh, tenure track position, the interviews are usually a two-day process. Um, you'll be interviewed by the dean, by the uh, director of the program, by the faculty, by some type of uh, hiring committee. Uh, you'll do a public presentation. It is quite an involved process. So uh, certainly, uh, one thing that helped me uh, land that to the position that I'm in right now is knowing that school 
inside and out. It's just like any other job that you're applying to. Uh, know the mission and vision of the, uh, of the school. Uh, know the curriculum. Uh, have some ideas that you may very well be able to bring forward in terms of uh, new and innovative things that you're doing uh, that might be attractive to the, the school. For those of you looking outside of academia, how you plan for success? Well, there are, again, a number of things that you can do, and I, I think it still centers on the, the idea of developing relationships. Uh, uh, for example, if you want to work in the nonprofit sector, uh, there's a lot of nonprofit organizations in the London area where your research may very well be applicable. Uh, so go out and find those organizations and volunteer. Uh, I know that you don't necessarily, again, have a lot of time to do that, but uh, this is how they're going to get to know you. This is how they're going to get to know your name, the skills that you have, uh, and again, might be one of the ways that you can develop experience above and beyond just your degree, which uh, in most cases, those organizations outside of academia are looking for. So that's the, the first book. The second book uh, is called The Art of Procrastination. And have you read this? Uh, oh, no? It's, uh, Not yet. It's, it's, a, it's a relatively short read. Uh, and it, it was written by uh, someone in academia. And it, the premise behind it is, uh, if you're going to procrastinate, procrastinate in a productive way. Uh, so oftentimes you may procrastinate writing a chapter of your, your dissertation or your thesis. Uh, but how can you kind of be productive in procrastinating on something else? Well, perhaps uh, you know you can have uh, tests to mark. You have a, a lecture to prepare. You have uh, there's a paper that you. You have to, to finish edits on that you're writing and so on. Uh, so I really found that to be, um, if not a, an uplifting book, that it's okay to procrastinate. Um, of course, there's always Netflix and things like that. <laughs> are drawing our attention away from those more productive things. And in terms of work-life balance, uh, you still do need that time uh, to be away from academia. Uh, to be away from your degree. Uh, you need time to, to think and reflect. So certainly don't turn down opportunities to, to go on vacations. And the one thing that my wife and I really like to do, uh, and we do this every single week, we've been doing this since we've been married, is we have a date night uh, every Wednesday night. Uh, and so she's actually doing her PhD as well right now, but that if we set that date, and it's every Wednesday night, and it doesn't matter what else is going on in our lives, we set that date and we stick to it. Uh, it, it really does help to, to kind of keep us grounded. It gives us something to look forward to in the week. Um, the third book, I'm just trying to remember the name of it now, um, The Art of Procrastination, How to Highly Effective People Write. So the third one is uh, it's called Behind the Academic Curve. Uh, and essentially what it is, uh, again, it's a, a researcher, a tenured uh, researcher at a prestigious U.S. university. And uh, he's actually just about ready to retire. He probably has retired now. And so he felt he had a little bit of freedom to talk about uh, what actually goes on behind the scenes in academia. And, uh, Certainly not unlike 
again, what has been spoken about here, uh, the job market in academia is obviously uh, very difficult right now. And so I, I really recommend this book if you're thinking and contemplating about a career in academia or working outside of academia. If you're on the fence, I definitely do recommend this book because it's a pretty, uh, it's to the point. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He, he tells you kind of what schools are looking for right now, and I know this is more of a U.S. book, but it still applies uh, to the Canadian uh, academic job market as well, where really, for all intents and purposes, if you're applying to a 10-year-track ten, position, uh, universities are almost looking for candidates who, in the past, may have already been able to get tenure with what they've done. Uh, so, I, I know that's difficult to hear, but for the most part, uh, it is true. And so, if we go back to the first book and think about developing, developing that plan for how we're going to reach our end goal, again, what are the things that you can do right now uh, to help you reach that goal? What is going to put you on par with the other people who are applying to those tenure track positions? And again, it does all relate back to publications presentations at conferences, so uh, I, I really do recommend this book. And on, on a lighter side, uh, one of the books, one of the other books that I read, so I guess there are four books, who knew that you would have homework after coming to this panel? Uh, but the, the fourth book is called Advice to a Young Scientist. And that one has actually been around for a long time, written by Advice to a Young Scientist, written by a, a Nobel-winning uh, researcher, and although it was written about 30 years ago, a lot of the uh, tips and strategies that he has in it are still applicable today. I was actually recommended to me by my advisory committee. And uh, I still go back and, and read it sometimes because of the advice that it has. One of the most important things that I took from that book is that don't be afraid to fail. Um, oftentimes, again, with uh, publications, there's this pressure to, to try and publish as much as you possibly can, get into top journals. Uh, and so sometimes in kind of seeking uh, to reach that goal, we might want to you know, aim for the lower impact journals to try to get as many publications as we can, but don't do that. Uh, that is a, a bad strategy. Uh, aim high. Aim for those high impact journals. Uh, again, as long as they will take your research and, and will uh, publish that specific topic because oftentimes they do have very high rejection rates. But at the very least, sometimes the feedback that those reviewers give you will be very, very good to help improve the quality of your work. Uh, and for those of you who are perfectionists, know that all reviewers will have lots to say about your papers. Yeah. 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 Um, Um, my name is Katerina Drawinger. I completed a PhD in software engineering just about a year ago. Currently, I'm a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering. So I carry out mostly applied research in collaboration with industry. So presently, I'm involved with three different projects. One is uh, with London Hydro on the Green Button Initiative. Another one is PowerSmith. They, they are manufacturer of different electronic devices. And the third one is the uh, census. They do different um, software applications. 
So today I'll bring up some suggestions that I'm hoping will help you through will help you through your graduate path. And for some of them, it took me a while to figure them out, and I wish I could have known at the very beginning of my studies. But I guess the uh, graduate studies are the process, so it's not possible to know all that stuff. So first one is uh, take responsibility. Sometimes when we start grad studies, it's way too easy to rely on a supervisor to give us our direction. But it really needs to be your initiative. You need to decide where, which path you want to take. You need to look for the resources. So it shouldn't be really your supervisor that tells you, OK, you should research this or that. You need to find within you what interests you. And once the supervisors or any other professors mentors, if they see your initiative, they will be very willing to help you out. I find that if the initiative is coming from me, there is a whole bunch of people that will support it. And then also you're building towards your future. Once you are out from your grad program, people will expect you to take the initiative, you to be the leader. Because if you're doing the PhD, yes, you should be some kind of leader, whatever you are doing once when you are completed your thesis. Next one, read. It's obvious one. You wouldn't be here if you would, you, you are already not reading a lot. But the art of skimming. There is so much out there. And a lot of grad students are perfectionists. Especially in engineering, we see a lot of people that pay attention to the small, smallest detail. They want to understand everything what's in that paper. But if you try to do that, it takes too much time. So it's hard to do at the beginning, how to distinguish what's important, what's, what's not. So I would suggest keep in mind and focus what's important for you. What are you trying to get from that paper? So probably you don't need to understand all the tiniest details. Probably you're not going to implement exactly the same research. So focus on big picture and move on. Next one is write. So write, write, and write again. For people that um, English is a second language, as I am, it can be very intimidating trying to write that first paper. So you read all those papers, they are amazing. And now I need to write this paper, and English is my second language on the top of it. So it's really hard to get going with that first one. It's really hard to not procrastinate. But keep in mind that most of us will not write that award-winning paper first time around. So we need to write seek feedback and write again. So hear feedback not only from your supervisor, whoever you can get a feedback from. Keep writing, keep improving it. More you write, your writing will be better. And eventually you will write that great paper like those ones that you were impressed with. Um, network. Here when I talk about networking, I'm not thinking on the line networking for your future job position. I'm more talking about networking on the line of learning. 
So talk to everybody. Talk to anybody that has anyhow related research to what you are doing. Talk to any professors in your department. Talk to pretty much anybody that's anyhow related to what you're doing. You want to pick their brain. You want to learn from them. It might give you new ideas. Somebody might say something, it's going to click, oh, I could do this differently. You can get a collaborator, or maybe you might collaborate with somebody that's, and it's going to result in another paper. It might take you somewhere. So try to interact with others as much as possible. And we heard about this last one quite a bit. Where do you want to go after you're done here? Is it academic position or it's non-academia you are aiming for? Depending on where you're going to go, craft your path. So it's going to be slightly different for the two directions. But some parts you're still going to find the same. For me personally, now I am a postdoctoral fellow, so I'm kind of academic side. But I'm still not strictly determined where I'm going. I am applying for the academic position. I love the research. It doesn't mean I wouldn't be ready to go for the really cool position in some, some company that does some research very related to what I am doing. So yes, I want to do the research, but I'm not sure if I want to do academic side or non-academic. And academic is really competitive. So the question is also, how long am I willing to, how long I'm willing to try to apply to the academic position? There was some talk previously about publishing. So yes, if you are aiming for academic position, you need to publish. But in certain disciplines, it's not anymore published or perish. It's get cited or perish. <laughs> so you want to plan for that. Plan your online presence. How do you, if somebody searches you up online, what should they find there? If you're doing research, you publish something, how do you make sure that it gets cited? So look for open access publications. That way more people can access your work. When you publish at a conference or a journal, read, your read their copyrights. Often you are able to post it on your own website or on a university website. So plan for that. If people can't find your research, they're not going to cite you. So if you're online present, it's true even if you're going for non-academic. <coughs> Plan it so that they get a picture that they want to see. And uh, last note on the grant writing. Typically, if you're looking for academic position, if you're going for an interview, they will ask about grants. Because as academic, you have to write the grants. You have to get the grants. Prepare yourself for that. You might not get asked to get involved in a grant, right? But I would suggest, if you're aiming for academic, if you know somebody is writing a grant, offer your help. 
They might not use your help a lot, but you will get to be involved in that process. And you want to see that process, because it's a process. It's not just sitting down and writing this final grant. So that will kind of conclude my part. So plan your path. Have in mind where you want to go and plan your path accordingly. That's all for this week. GradCast is created and funded by the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario and goes live once every other week on CHRW 94.9 to the London, Ontario area. We are reachable on Twitter at, at @gradcastradio and email at uh, gradcastradio at gmail.com. See you all next week.